Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This podcast is independent and ad-free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Imagine you're at a dinner party. It is 1706. You're in London, England. It's a well-to-do affair. Plenty of people there have fancy titles and a great deal of money and importance and all that. Everybody is talking about the types of things that fancy dinner-partying nobles talk about, but everyone is looking at this one guy. He's in his 20s. He has long, blonde hair. He's got blue eyes. And he's not using a knife or fork or spoon. He's just picking food up, eating it with his hands, making a big show of eating it all messy-like, and occasionally he lapses into this gibberish that he says is his native language. Everyone's asking him about where he's from, his homeland, what it's like, all the details, the religion, the culture, all of that. And you approach the man and you ask him, where did you say you were from again? This man, who called himself George Salmanazar, was a sensation in early 1700s London. He says to you, Formosa, an island subject to the Emperor of Japan. Of course, you say, as you look at the blonde-haired, blue-eyed man who speaks perfectly good English, Formosa. Before masquerading as a Formosan, Salmanazar had another grift. While in mainland Europe, he'd often pretend to be a pilgrim on a road to Rome, so he could get reduced pilgrimage rates while staying at inns or other establishments. Yeah, there were sweet hotel deals if you were on a holy mission to go hang out with the Pope. And while doing this, he usually pretended to be an Irishman and was happy to make things up about what the Emerald Isle was like. Ireland, as you might recall, is somewhat near continental Europe, or at least much, much nearer than Taiwan is. Plenty of people who'd actually been to Ireland, or who had met real Irish people, were able to tell that Salmanazar was full of it, and called him out for being not exactly who he said he was. So, the whole fake Irish guy thing didn't work. Salmanazar decided to, instead, start over. He moved to England, and decided to pass himself off as a resident of another further-off island, one that would be harder to fact-check, one that most people had never met an inhabitant of, Formosa, or as we call it now, Taiwan. Plenty of people in Britain would have heard of Formosa by that point, but they were unlikely to know the particulars. In fact, I'll bet plenty of people nowadays don't really know a lot of the particulars of Taiwan, like the original indigenous population is more Polynesian than Chinese, but that is tangential to our story today. Now, if Salmanazar was going to pass himself off as a Formosan in Britain, he needed a backstory explaining how he got there. After all, there was an entire Eurasian continent between the two islands. So to explain his presence in the UK... Salmanazar decided to tap into English people's prejudices. This was the very early 1700s, 
and the English at the time were not too fond of the French and were not too fond of Catholics. So Salmanazar's backstory was that he had been abducted by French Jesuit missionaries. And this story does hold water a bit. At the time, French Jesuit missionaries were active in many parts of East Asia. In fact, French Jesuit missionaries were among the first Western scholars to really get into Confucius. It's why we refer to him by his Latinized name, Confucius, as opposed to his Chinese name, which I cannot pronounce because I cannot make those sounds with my mouth, but I'm getting sidetracked. The point is, Salmanazar said, he had been kidnapped by Jesuits, forced to convert to Catholicism, and then eventually brought to continental Europe, specifically Holland. While he was living in Holland, he said he was miserable. He was forced to go through all of the motions of Catholicism and despaired at being in a new land. But fortunately, he was rescued by a kindly English clergyman who helped him become a member of the Church of England, a much, much better form of Christianity, he said, than Catholicism was. Of Anglicanism, George Salmanzer called it, quote, the Christian communion most conformable to the institutions of our Savior, unquote. So, his explanation for why he was there was crafted to feed into people's prejudices at the time, which is kind of squicky, but it does sound clever, and it does sound effective. His conversion story also sounds really weird to anybody who is familiar with modern Catholicism or modern Anglicanism. I was raised Catholic. I have been to many Catholic churches. I have also been to a lot of Anglican churches. I've participated in Catholic masses and Anglican ones, and they are different, but they're not all that different. Catholicism and Anglicanism have a whole, whole lot of overlap. Their differences can definitely matter. I mean, just ask Northern Ireland about the importance of differences between Catholicism and Anglicanism, but those differences matter to people who are intimately familiar with the very, very specific cultural and historical legacies of these respective religions. They can see those differences, and those differences matter because of their backgrounds and their communities and their histories and how it informs their present day. I imagine, to an outsider like Salmanazar, or rather, a supposed outsider, he would look at two forms of Christianity, and probably it would all look the same to him. I have talked to plenty of Westerners who have not been able to tell the differences between, say, different Buddhist temples or even Buddhist and Shinto shrines. They think it's the same thing. It's not. So I don't think Salmanazar's story holds water, but again, I'm getting sidetracked. Salmanazar might have established himself and ingratiated himself to people by pandering to their religious prejudices, but what really turned him into a celebrity, at least for a little while, was how he described Formosa. Salmanazar's Formosa was a fantastical world, kind of half utopia and half dystopia. He described it as a place where the inhabitants went around naked except for loincloths, in temperate tropical weather. They lived easy and free lives. Everybody could do more or less as they pleased. And, in a move that was enlightened 
even for England at the time, nobody ever beat their children. He also had this whole thing about raw meat. He described the Formosans as never cooking anything, of hunting and just cutting up animals and eating it as it was. He also described snake venom as a kind of local delicacy that everybody enjoyed having for breakfast. And then there was a whole cannibalism and child sacrifice thing. So Salmanazar described Formosa as this idyllic island where everything was cool except for, in the capital of Formosa, which he called Externetza, there was a temple dedicated to a gigantic idol, a golden god in the shape of an ox, and the Formosan sacrificed some 200,000 children before this shining and bloody altar every year. And so much cannibalism. Usually ritualized, he described cannibalism as a kind of funerary practice, but he made it clear that the Formosans were both enviable in their easy lives and utterly savage and bloodthirsty. He also made up a fake Formosan language, a fake Formosan alphabet that was mainly totally gibberish. He concocted a whole history of the island that we now call Taiwan, being invaded by what he called the, quote, Emperor of Tartary. Tartary being a kind of general term for the nebulous mass that is Mongolia, Manchuria, and a big chunk of Russia. No invasion like that ever happened. He also claimed that Formosa was subject to the Emperor of Japan. It was not. It later would be, as of the 1890s, but yeah, Formosa? Not a Japanese thing at the time. As I alluded to earlier, Salmanazar was something of a sensation and a socialite in the first decade of the 1700s in London. He got invited to lots of dinner parties as a curiosity and as a topic of conversation, and his identity, his supposed identity, as a Formosan got him a meeting with London's Royal Society, the various fancy science bros who hung around and scienced during the early 1700s. A lot of them, it seems, were genuinely curious about him as a person from the other side of the world, and they really thought that they were talking to somebody from an island that they had no idea about. However, some members of the Royal Society were a bit more discerning. Among them was Edmund Haley, yes, the guy that Haley's Comet is named after, who looked at this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, European-seeming guy and asked him a bunch of verifiable questions about Formosa. Haley was an astronomer, so he knew a thing or two about how the Earth's rotation and sunlight worked. He asked Salmanazar, at what time of day in Formosa does sunlight shine directly down chimneys? Now, Haley knew that Formosa was in the tropics. Well, it's like just in the tropics. Part of the island is, not the whole thing. But he knew that the sun should shine down chimneys basically at around midday when it was directly overhead, which is not the case on all parts of the earth. And when he put this question to Salmanazar, he expected that an actual Formosan would probably know that. Salmanazar, though, was thinking on his feet, and he said to Halley, At no point does the sun shine directly down chimneys, because chimneys in Formosa 
are bent. There were other people who doubted Salmanazar's story. For example, one doubter gave him a passage in English to translate into Formosan. And Salmanazar did, in that he translated it from English to invented gibberish. Later on, the same skeptic gave him the same passage, and Salmanazar was not able to duplicate the supposed Formosan language that he had previously produced for that passage. There was also the small matter that some Europeans, most notably Jesuit missionaries, had actually been to Taiwan and were able to say, um, actually, it's not like that at all. However, again, at the time, the English didn't really like Jesuit missionaries, so nobody was really paying much attention to them when they actually called Salmanzar out on his BS. However, Salmanzar's celebrity didn't last. I wish I could tell you that this guy who was sashaying around England in the first decade of the 1700s was subject to some kind of like big expose, or there was some crusading journalist, some kind of like Woodward and Bernstein of that era who found the truth, or somebody who just caught him in a lie, or beat him in an argument, or he had this like breakdown where he confessed everything in a public venue, but it's not like that. It seems that by 1711, everyone was just kind of bored of him. His celebrity and novelty had worn off, and nobody was inviting him to fancy dinner parties anymore. In that year, 1711, there was a satirical London newspaper called The Spectator, and it ran this fake ad. Quote, On the 1st of April will be performed at the Playhouse in the Haymarket an opera called The Cruelty of Atreus. The scene wherein Theestes eats his own children is to be performed by the famous Mr. Salmanazar, lately arrived from Formosa, the whole supper being set to kettle drums. Unquote. I'm sure that was really funny in 1711, but basically they're making fun of him, saying that there's going to be a fake cannibalism play and he's going to eat human flesh on stage. Over a decade later, he was still a laughingstock and a figure of fun. In fact, he shows up in Jonathan Swift's Modest Proposal, a fun essay about eating babies. Swift wrote, quote, But in order to justify my friend, he confessed that this expedient was put into his head by the famous Salmanazar, a native of the island of Formosa, who came thence to London about twenty years ago, and in conversation told my friend that in his country, when any young person happened to be put to death, the executioner sold the carcass to persons of quality as a prime dainty, and that in his time the girl of fifteen who was crucified for an attempt to poison the emperor was sold to his imperial majesty's prime minister of state and other great mandarins of the court in joints from the gibbet at four hundred crowns. Salmanazar spent his remaining years as a copywriter for reference books, working under Samuel Johnson. Yes, that's Samuel Johnson, who apparently really liked him. He called Salmanazar the best man I have ever known. The faux Formosan worked on a lot of real information. He was writing real encyclopedias and guidebooks, and sometimes they were even about East Asia and even Taiwan. So he devoted the last decades of his life to spreading the truth, even though he was most known for being full of it. 
He also struggled with opium addiction and died in 1763. Before he died, Salmanazar made arrangements for a posthumous autobiography to clear the air, but I think it wasn't just there to clear the air. I think this guy wanted to be a little bit extra just one last time. It was titled Memoirs of Blank, commonly known by the name of George Salmanazar, a reputed native of Formosa. The autobiography, published the year after his death, gave away very little about him. Even his real name wasn't in there. His place of birth wasn't in there. We don't even know exactly when he was born. Salmanazar claimed that he left out all of that identifying information because he didn't want to bring shame upon his family. But I also think he liked being mysterious. But anyway, here's how it starts. This is just so over the top. He begins, quote, The last will and testament of me, a poor, sinful, and worthless creature, commonly known by the assumed name of George Salmanazar, the ever-blessed and unerring will, O most gracious though offended God, be done by me and all the world, whether for life or death. Into thy all-merciful hands I commit my soul as a most gracious father, who, though justly provoked by my past vain and wicked life, but more especially so during my youthful sallies of a rash and unthinking part of it, has yet been graciously pleased by thy undeserved grace and mercy to preserve me from the reigning errors and heresy. Unquote. You get the idea. Here's the thing. That hand-wringing and self-flagellation and, oh God, please forgive me, goes on for nine pages. I could not get through it all. Even when this guy was being penitent, he was all about being over-the-top, weird, and egomaniacal. The more I read about George Salmanazar, the more I wished he had been a fantasy author. Inventing societies, languages, histories, etc. That's a job you can have, and all kinds of people do pretty well for themselves by making stuff up and putting it in books, or movies, or comics, or what have you. And I also kept thinking about what was going through the heads of his audience. How many people at those dinner parties really believed he was from Formosa? How many people thought, oh yes, this guy who looks like a continental European, he's actually from the other side of the planet, and he just happens to be here where he finds Anglicanism, our religion, just the greatest thing since bread or slices. I wonder how many people, deep down in their heart of hearts, knew that they were being fooled, but wanted to be fooled, enjoyed it. They liked the novelty. It was a game they could play, and it also flattered their prejudices. Here he was saying, I have come from the other side of planet Earth to tell you, Londoners, how great your religion is, that you have it right. I have seen the wide world, and I am declaring you're on top of it. That probably went a long way for Salmanazar's audiences to say, not only is this man fooling me, but I am fooling me, and I'm going to sit back. I'm going to listen to his made-up history about cannibalism and his made-up gibberish, and I am going to let myself be flattered indulged and fooled. Are you, are you?